Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talking Logistics, where we have conversations with thought leaders and newsmakers in the supply chain logistics industry. It's my great pleasure to welcome today's program, Matt Robeson, who is Software Product Manager at Amber Road. And today we're going to talk about why duty drawback is making a comeback. Now, the spotlight is certainly on global trade management these days with, you know, Brexit and tariffs, uh, you know, in the headlines today, which, you know, are forcing supply chain and logistics executives to figure out ways to successfully navigate through the risks and uncertainty that are out there in the marketplace today. And one area that's getting renewed attention is duty drawback. What is it? Uh, why is it uh, you know, gaining more attention today? And what are some of the important factors for success in implementing and managing duty drawback? Well, those are the main questions we're gonna address in today's episode. And it's great to have Matt on the program to share his insights and perspective on this topic. So Matt, welcome to the program. Thanks, Adrian. Glad to be here, and uh, thanks for having me. Great. Well, Matt, like I always like to do when I bring on a new guest uh, on Talking Logistics, I'm always cur- you know, curious how they got involved with this industry to, to begin with. So uh, before we kind of dive into duty drawback, why don't we you know, start by learning a little bit about your career path? You know, how and why did you, did you get involved with this industry, and what are your current role and responsibilities there at Amber Road? Sure. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't think a lot of us, uh, you know, go to school for supply chain or logistics or definitely not trade compliance. Uh, I kind of stumbled into a role at a uh, foreign trade zone consulting and managed services firm. So we actually um, consulted and actually managed uh, remotely the operations of foreign trade zones uh, nationwide. And that, you know, kind of gave me a broad education on import, export, uh, duty management. It's really kind of a holistic look at the uh, uh, the cross-border movements and management of um, of goods uh, from a from a duty perspective as well. At Imber um, Road, I work in product management with, with responsibility for our duty deferral solutions, including FTZ and, and some EU customs warehouse solutions, uh, duty drawback, as well as some other compliance solutions. Uh, my role is uh, is very dynamic. You know, we connect I connect the business needs with technology. And that means that we really need to keep close uh, to customers as well as market needs, you know, understand what our pain points are, where, where things are going, uh, keep up with trends, um, and of course, keep up with policy and regulatory updates. Um, any given day, I might be working with customers directly to get requirements, uh, to understand issues they're having, uh, working with development to design and implement solutions, and then working with uh, marketing, of course, to ensure that you know our messaging is is really consistent and clear to the market. So it's it's really a, a very uh, a unique view of the industry, and and I think you know we're gonna have a good discussion here on on why uh, duty dropping is really making a comeback. No, that's great. And, you know, kind of being in the front lines there and, and kind of getting it from all angles, if you will, you know, being able to talk to customers and hearing what their pain points and issues are, keeping a right. pulse of what's happening on, on the regula- regulatory front. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, this is probably one of the most dynamic uh, parts of global supply chain management, this whole area of regulations and, and, and so forth. And like I mentioned in my opening comments, you know, things like Brexit and what's happening with tariffs, uh, you know, only adds to the, the risks and complexities, you know, out there in the marketplace uh, today. Absolutely. I think every country, every country has had a very uh, interesting few years, uh, few, past few years in global trade and, and uh, economics. And we're certainly going to see that uh, probably not slow down anytime soon. Well, you know, it, keep, it keeps you busy. It keeps me busy. So I, I guess at, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a good thing. Um, so, so let's talk about duty drawback now. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, some people may not be familiar, um, you know, with it. So why don't we start there? I mean, what is it and, and what types of companies have traditionally implemented a, a duty drawback program? 
Sure. So drawback is, to give a concise definition, the refund of duties and fees on goods that were previously imported into the United States. And after those goods are re-exported or destroyed, 99% uh, of those duties and fees uh, can be recovered in most cases. It's, for those folks new to it, it's kind of similar to an income tax refund. You could think of uh, the imports as your income and the exports or destroyed goods, those are similar to a tax credit where you can uh, sort of equal those out and get uh, a refund based on that. Um, traditionally, we've seen big users come from the petroleum uh, industries as well as manufacturing. Uh, typically, companies that have a high volume of exported goods will be good candidates, and that's just a very rough uh, uh, characterization. Manufacturers, uh, they'll almost always typically be importing a substantial com um, component of their of their inputs, right? And after those finished goods can be exported, or potentially some of that is destroyed in the process, uh, those components may then be eligible for refunds. Uh, petroleum has been a huge user of drawback, uh, traditionally the, the biggest single uh, industry that uses drawback. And it's partly because they have had historically a little bit more flexible rules than uh, the rest of uh, the folks out there. They have been allowed um, since I believe the 80s to basically interchange product at the eight digit HTS level. And what that means for them is they could actually import gasoline and they could export jet fuel and claim drawback on that imported gasoline when they fill up an airplane and that leaves the country. So that's you know really created interesting uh, opportunities in the petroleum industry for, for drawback. And there's really kind of a, a niche um, industry just around that particular type of drawback in particular. Um, typically you'll see larger enterprises have bigger ROIs, you know, simply because of the scale. Uh, the numbers here definitely matter, volume of imports and duties paid compared to uh, sales abroad. And drawback can also be very complex uh, depending on uh, the type of drawback, the supplier relationships. Uh, so there is there is a, a, a bit of overhead that has to be accounted for. You, so you typically see you know, those companies that have a big ROI uh, coming from the manufacturing and petroleum industry and um, also larger companies are able to really support that overhead to, to actually you know, put a process in place and recover those duties. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I mean, I wasn't, you know, th that familiar with the, you know, petroleum uh, industry being a, a, a big uh, uh, adopter of this, certainly from, you know, from the manufacturing standpoint, when, when I've worked with manufacturers, particularly those larger companies, I've seen that, you know, right. obviously Im importing, you know, a lot of the inputs and then, you know, a lot of those products getting exported out. Um, I think your point about, you know, generally speaking, historically, it's been kind of the larger, you know, companies that have taken advantage of this because there is some, level of complexity and pro, you know, from a people process uh, technology standpoint, you have to have in place to really, you know, do this, you know, successfully. I mean, so, so duty drawback is, is not necessarily new, but I think now some, some other companies are starting to look at it that probably in the past either looked at it and didn't think it was right for them, or maybe this is new to them. I mean, what is that? Why is that? Why is there now, you know, renewed interest in, in taking a look at duty drawback? Hey, good question. Uh Drawback is definitely not new. It's it's one of the first customs programs put in place actually back in 1789 with the uh, first Tariff Act. And, you know, of course, the first iteration was a, a bit simpler than the rules we have today. But uh, it is underutilized um, massively. You know, it's estimated that I think around five to six hundred million is recovered annually. But that's 
likely only 15 to 20 percent of the the total recoverable amounts. So, you know, companies are leaving 80 percent uh, on the table there, which is uh, kind of a staggering figure if you look at it uh, from from companies that are always looking at the bottom line, right? Um, really, there, there's a few key factors. I'll, I'm going to point to probably three today. Uh, first being the the modernization of uh, some of the policy around drawback, and that was uh, really started with the uh, 2015 Trade Facilitation Enforcement Act, uh, which which uh, tried to streamline some of the legacy drawback rules to allow the rest of the industry uh, to ad- adopt the some of the rules that the Petroleum Ministry had had actually been using for some time. Uh, so now. The rest of the industry can use uh, substitution at the eight-digit HTS level, and what that means is you may see, uh, you know, distributors that are importing, for example, a uh, a T-shirt of uh, one type, maybe let's say just a, a plain white t- under T-shirt, and they're exporting a um, a different type of shirt um, that that falls under that same eight-digit HTS. They now uh, previously they had to look at a uh, ruling that was out there uh, where a company had previously applied to customs and and uh, made an application and said these two products can be considered to be interchangeable uh, so they really had to go and do their homework there now if those two products have the same eight digit hts they can uh, essentially consider them commercial commercially interchangeable uh, for the purpose of drawback uh, so that's and there are a couple of caveats that i'm not going to get into the weeds of here uh, to do with the HTS description. Uh, that's, so that's one of the driving factors. Uh, the other one uh, with, with that policy change as uh, a timeline. Uh, previously, you had different timelines based on the type of drawback uh, for manufacturing. You had one timeline for um, unused merchandise. You had another timeline. Uh, and that really kind of made it difficult to figure out, you know, what percentage of your imports and what percentage of your exports might be applicable. Now there is a timeline that, that starts, the clock starts ticking um, at the time of import and up to five years after import, you can file a claim on those. So that really simplifies things and allows, I think, um, a more standard process to come into place. Um, the other key portion along with that policy modernization, there is also a component of, uh, of putting that uh, drawback process into the ACE system, the automated commercial environment that that's Customs runs. And previously, only part of the drawback filing process had been implemented uh, as in, in that system. It was basically, you know, you file and you create a, a drawback header, sort of, where you just had the, um, the entry number and you had to actually mail customs the supporting documentation and they would have someone sit at a desk and go through your 500 you know pdf documents and try to uh come up with your claim now they have uh, implemented and this just went fully live uh just a couple months ago in 2019 a fully electronic claim filing process which allows customs to um, to really accept and process more claims overall and it also allows service providers to you know, come into this environment and build software that uh, aligns with those processes and allows companies to potentially file themselves or, or at least to, uh, to streamline the process internally. Um, so that's the second point. The third is really the, the tariff, uh, retaliatory tariff environment that, that we have right now. Uh, the big one is the 301 tariffs. Um, you, a lot of companies were seeing 10% duty on goods coming in from China. 
And these may have been companies that previously, you know, weren't paying duty at all. I mean, in most developed economies, there typically are not high import duties. Those are typically a trademark of a, a newer economy that doesn't have a lot of other uh, sources of income. Um, so, so a lot of companies that didn't have that ROI previously, they're now seeing uh, the only imports from 2018 that they paid, you know, a lot of duty. And sometimes they weren't paying any before. Now they're paying uh, uh, substantial amounts. So it maybe it's just just simply be the numbers working out that's that's driving companies to look into drawback programs. There are you know certainly other duty management programs like foreign trade zones, uh, bonded warehouses that will allow, that would allow you to defer those duties in case of export or destruction. But there was really simply not enough time for companies to put those types of programs into place, really to react at all. You know in terms of making changes to their supply chain or uh, changes of suppliers. Uh, so, so that's what we're seeing now. This is more of a reaction to what has happened, uh, you know, starting primarily in 2018 with that, with those tariffs. No, a lot of, a lot of great, uh, you know, factors there. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised that, you know, the, the, how much money is being left on the table historically, you know, with this. I mean, I think you made the analogy in your opening remarks about, you know, when you were defining duty drawback as, you know, making the analogy with people filing for, you know, tax refunds. Right. I think most people, you know, from a personal standpoint, if you knew you had a refund coming, I think most people will, will file their taxes on time and, and you, know, you know, look forward to getting that check in the mail. Um, so, so that's one thing, uh, you know, and I think secondly to your, uh, you know, the other aspect of it is, the, you know, the, the modernization, right? Making this more electronically, uh, these transactions more electronically um, uh, enabled. You know, in terms of moving away from some of these paper-based processes that that were, was part of it, so I can see that as being another historical, you know, inhibiting factor, if you will. And and it still right. surprises me, you know, to this day, you know, you, you would think that, you know, we talk about digitization, we talk about, you know, and we've seen the transformation that's taken place with the internet and the web and so forth. But the reality is that, you know, in, in a lot of uh, supply chain processes, still you've you've got this dependency on on paper. Uh, and, and paper-based documents uh, for transactions. And it sounds like that was until just a couple of months ago, that was something that was uh, still a part of this process as well. So, you know, I can see how that, you know, created some friction in, in adoption. But, Absolutely. But, but with, with all these factors you talked about, certainly uh, I, think, uh, I think the reality is that, um, you know, the expectation is that more and more companies now are going to be uh, at least looking into implementing duty drawback and, um, so the, the next logical question is, well, how do you get started? I mean, what, what's, what's the first step? And I mean, what, what are some of the, you know, the challenges or, or considerations involved here? Yeah, I, I think there, we've already seen a lot of companies, you know, uh, that, that are looking at, uh, where do they take that first step? And I think the easiest would be to, first of all, you know, if you paid a lot more duty in, uh, in 2018 than you did previously. Uh, so if you are one of those, then it's probably an easier calculation. But even if you're not, uh, this, this includes both groups. Really what you wanna start with is to do some rough estimations of uh, what that uh, return might potentially be. And what you can do is you can uh, get an annual um, amount of duty that uh, your company paid uh, last year or the year before. Um, you can consider back to five years. So you know, probably try to get as much data as you're able to. Um, if you don't have a drawback program at all. And then, uh, so get that, get that duty amount, which you may have to go to different departments to do. Um, you may not even have it internally. You may have to go to a broker to get that. Uh, so it just kind of depends on where you have that available. Um, the finance departments, you know, certainly should have that though. 
then you take that uh, number and consider the percentage of um, sales are exported. And again, this is just a rough estimation. Uh, so let's say 10% of your, uh, your sales are exports. Uh, I could take that 10% number and then roughly estimate that 10% of the duty that I paid last year, I might be able to recover uh, because I have a matching export against that. And that you, could, you could take that same calculation, do it with uh, goods that are destroyed um, or goods that are manufactured and then exported or destroyed. So if you do have an ROI at that point, you know, if you're looking for an, if you're looking at a number that's, um, you know, in the five digits, hopefully higher than that, uh, depending on the size of the company, that's, that's of course a factor. Um, then look at if your company is the exporter of record uh, so that this is where it can get a little complex. If you're not the exporter and the exporter is where the actual right to claim drawback is, uh, then you still may be able to claim drawback, but you may need to get some documentation from the actual export of record to transfer that right over to your company. If you have that right or you're able to get that right transferred, look at uh, the import of the goods. If you're not the original importer of the goods, uh, then you, you still may be able to claim export or sorry, drawback, but you then in that case may need to get some additional documentation from that supplier uh, so there's the original, the, there's the initial calculation, you know, do I have an ROI? Then there's, am I the exporter of goods or can I get documentation uh, from the exporter? And then am I the importer of the goods? And if not, can I get documentation from the importer? And you're going to need uh, proof of export for those goods or proof of destruction. Uh, proof of export typically could be a, uh, a bill of lading. It may be a custom entry into another country. Um, if you're going to Mexico or Canada, often customs will ask for the customs entry into that country. Uh, may get a little tricky there. Uh, but essentially, you need to ensure that you will be able to uh, get documentation to support the original import as well as the export or destruction. Uh, so after building that business case, then I would really take it to uh, the higher powers that be within your company. Um, ultimately, a drawback program is going to need a sign-off from uh, an officer of the company or someone you know, high up enough, um, and, and that's really going to you know, help you speed things along. Um, there, there are some uh, financial, of course, impacts, so you know, a CFO maybe, um, maybe get involved, but you definitely would want to start with that business case and then uh, try to identify where within your existing processes you're able to get documentation or if you need a new process to get that supporting documentation. No, great, great, great advice there. I mean, I think, I, you know, uh, sometimes getting that data, you know, like you, you talked about, it's, it's, it could be challenging for a lot of companies, particularly if it's not, you know, within their four walls, right? If they have to rely Definitely. on brokers and others. So I know with just a, a lot of different types of supply chain initiatives, you know, just getting that data to understand, you know, to kind of create that baseline or kind of create that business case, as you mentioned, might be, a, you know, a good first step. I mean, you would think that you would have, you know, the answer to the question, how much did we pay on duties uh, last year for this product category, you know, at the tip of your fingers. But uh, that could be a hard, a difficult, uh, you know, question to, uh, to answer for, for a lot of companies just because of the, where the data is and, and normalizing it and, and so forth. But, but I think that's a great, you know, starting point. Obviously, you know, if the business case is there, you've, you've got, you, you've put in all the foundational requirements in place to, to move forward with this, you know, technology is going to have to ultimately play a role in, in this whole process to, to help simplify and streamline the process. I mean, what, what, what is the role of, 
of technology and, and you know, what, what capabilities should companies look for in a solution? It, it definitely comes into play at that point. Um, you know, the, the scenario you mentioned, if, if I as a company am not able to even identify or uh, procure any of my import documentation, you know, the obvious first step would be to, you know, get some kind of system in place or get a process with a, uh, a broker system, get some, some kind of visibility to your entry documentation. Uh, but the uh, overall, you know, the level of automation or solutioning you would need really is going to depend on the volume. Um, you know, you oftentimes these uh, drawback programs, they kind of start within a business unit and, you know, that, that one uh, warehouse uh, puts this process in place and they've got all the documents there. Uh, they have that, that audit trail to support that product line going through that one warehouse. And, you know, the uh, controllers look at, you know, here's how much we're saving from this warehouse. Oh, we should roll this out to the rest of the company, right? Well, you know, to scale that process up, you know, to, to accommodate that volume, that's where certainly you would need to look at uh, getting a way to systematically get all that uh, documentation in the right place to be able to um, track all those imports and exports uh, through a single system. And that may not be, or it may be something you have already today with your ERP or, or warehousing systems or uh, with a broker system or some combination of that. Um, you may also look at, uh, you know, how, how you're going to file these claims now. Um, the majority the, the vast, vast majority of companies in the past have used a service provider to do the filing. And that level of service may, it may kind of vary from, you know, like a black box filing where I'm just passing through data and that, and that company's uh, sending it to customs. It may vary all the way to that service provider is going to be uh, actually identifying and prepping the claims, uh, supporting the audits. Uh, they may be outsourcing really that entire thing. Uh, so the, the, Capability is going to vary based on how much you want to take on internally. Uh, for manufacturers, you know, it's definitely important uh, to be able to track the bill materials as well as all the components that go into that. So there's simply no way to do that without uh, some sort of automation. Um, and some methods of, of tracking uh, uh, unused merchandise uh, may require you to also track every uh, type of product of that same SKU or, or batch that came in through that warehouse, whether it was uh, sourced domestically or foreign. So that would, you know, call out for another uh, area where you need to, to be able to um, leverage a consistent tracking. Uh, you also need to, you know, consider that you, you'll need to be able to support audits as well as archive uh, data for years after the filing. Uh, I believe it's five years after the liquidation of the filing, which typically is going to be, you know, between six and seven years total. And uh, certainly to do the filing itself, there will be uh, so, some system in place to actually connect with customs and provide the, the proper uh, format and, and codes that need to go into that filing as well. Uh, so really, it kind of depends on how much uh, the company is looking to take in internally. But I think to really scale up a process, um, it would be good to have a system that helps you to uh, aggregate the import and export data, match those uh, those transactions together using whatever type of, um, of matching that you're using uh, that's approved by customs. And then to be able to output that data, whether you're filing yourself or uh, you're having a service provider do that, um, needs to be able to output that data into you know easily consumable formats that's, uh, that can be filed to customs. And then have that audit trail 
uh, available to uh, to survive that audit. Uh, Customs is going to come in, and you know they'll they'll probably want you know with with the ACE modernization, they do have the capability to process uh, more data, but they also have a lot of automation on their side of things to enable them to really audit uh, almost everything that comes in. So everything that comes in is definitely going to have a set of validations run against it and will likely have um, some level of audit against it. And there's going to be an increase in the number of desk audits, which is where, you know, you have an officer looking over uh, supporting documentation like invoices and, and entries. Um, so you need to be able to uh, support the claims that you are filing. Yeah, I mean, it strikes me that, you know, as you were kind of uh, go, going through, you know, all the, the requirements here, if you will, I mean, this truly is, you know, when you think about this, uh, you know, this is just a component of the overall end-to-end global trade management, you know, process, right? Because you've got the imports on the one end, the, the exports on the other end. You've got bills right. of lading and invoices and purchase orders. Uh, you've got all these types of documentation and data uh, that ultimately has to get linked or tied together, you know, as part of this, you know, duty drawback process, as well as other you know, types of global trade management processes and customs filings and, and so forth. So, so I think, you know, one of the things I'm seeing is this move toward, again, you know, having this, to your point, you know, having this a platform that is able to bring, you know, that data together and make those links and connections and then ultimately, you know, integrate, whether with customs or service providers to facilitate the, the transfer of that data or information or documents, uh, obviously now in more an electronic format, you know, to, to streamline and automate, you know, all of this. Um, because I think, you know, when, if you're, uh, you know, my my takeaway, whether it's with this process or everything else, you know, the days of managing these types of processes with uh, Excel spreadsheets or with, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, throwing a lot of bodies at it. It's just, uh, ultimately when you're trying to scale it, um, it, it's just not going to work out, uh, you know, doing it the, the old way, if you will. Um, so Matt, we're running short on time here. So just as a way to kind of wrap up, um, you know, what are some of the, the critical factors for success then in, in implementing and, and managing, you know, duty drawback? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, as I mentioned, there are companies, you can outsource this, this entire thing. Uh, I th- what we've seen the most, this, the most success from is going to be when a company has someone that internally is a champion, someone that's uh, somewhat of an expert in drawback, is able to look at, you know, supply chain, look at opportunities, look at where things are coming from and going to, and identify, you know, where they, they may have some of these high-value opportunities. Um, but, but not only that, that knowledge needs to be spread, you know, between finance, logistics, supply chain, trade compliance. Ultimately, you're going to have to work with all of these departments to get that import data, that export data, to make sure you have a receiving process in place where you're capturing uh, and linking back to your imports. Um, that, that's where you're going to really get the, uh, the, the biggest ROI on a drawback program. And I think what, once those departments are, are knowledgeable and, and they see that there is a positive impact on the bottom line, they're also going to be you know, going out there and looking for additional opportunities uh, for these types of savings. Um, there are also certainly you know, collaboration that may be required with uh, suppliers. Uh, so, you know, having those those folks that have the strong uh, supplier relationships in the case that you need to get that uh, import documentation um, or need to work with, um, you know, someone to get the the export rights, uh, that those are very important relationships as well. Um, you know, ultimately, though, it's, it is, is going to be a collaborative effort. Uh, a good process certainly will, will help scale the program up. Um, you know, like I said, you will have to support that uh, that audit process. And if you are scaling up uh, this this 
uh, across the company and these programs across the company, you do need to have a consistent process so that, you know, if customs is uh, auditing a claim from one warehouse, it's not, you know, substantially different from a claim from another warehouse. Uh, so there's a, a, um, uh, warehouse level operation to consider, but then also a, a company wide operation to consider, especially when scaling up a program. Uh, ultimately, you know, it's it's going to be a positive impact on the bottom line. Uh, cer I certainly think every company is going to be eager for that these days, uh, and it, and it does, as you mentioned, uh, encompass pretty much every every aspect of uh, global trade, import, export, uh, supply chain, and logistics. It's really one of those unique programs. Well, it sounds like, you know, you know, in supply chain management, we always talk about, you know, the importance of, you know, people, process and technology. And, and it certainly right. sounds that that's that that's the case here. Or it's a, this is a great example of that. So obviously, the technology is important, you know, from a streamlining automation, you know, standpoint, but having, you know, the right people in, in place uh, that have knowledge of this area and can identify some of these opportunities and, and, and see it through is, is critically important, as well as, you know, communication and collaboration between not only internal functional groups, as you talked about, but also with, you know, suppliers and customs and external parties as well that might be involved in this, uh, this process. So Matt, very meaty topic here. I mean, we could probably spend, you know, two hours talking about this and, and how to implement this uh, successfully and, and so forth. But I think you provided some great, um, you know, food for, for thought, some great advice on how to get started. Uh, so thank you again for making the time to be with us today. Absolutely. Thanks, Adrian, for having me. Great. I want to thank those of you that joined us. Uh, if you're watching this episode on demand, either at the Amber Road uh, website or on Talking Logistics, and you've got a question or a comment for Matt, you can post it there, and I'm sure he'll be more than happy to respond via that medium. Again, thank you for joining us, and look forward to seeing you in a future episode of Talking Logistics. Have a great day.